ua lehu lehu a mano mano ka ikena a ka Hawaii. Aloha kako e na makamaka hoolohe. Eia ho o kaleo o kauluau ma ke kahi makahiki hoaku. Me ke kahi maumea kipa hoae nui o kolako ike e hoana awau mai a kako. No keia vahi kamaha o a kako e noho nei o Hawaii. I keia makahiki e huileana ko kako nana i na loina a hana makamai a kapo e Hawaii. Great and vast is the knowledge of the Hawaiians. This olalono eo, proverb, poetical saying that my dear co-host Lei just referenced imparts so much for us to consider. Among them is the theme of traditional cultural practice. Such practices can and do and should inform our lives and also remind us of the sustainability that's integrated, that's woven into such practices. Mahalo to each of you for joining us on this journey to explore and honor cultural practices of Hawaii Island as we enter our second season of this podcast. I'm Drew Kapp. And I'm Lady Mello. Velina Mai. Welcome to Kaleo Kauluau. Previously, through Kaleo Kauluau, we became familiar with places and mo'olelo or stories in all six moku of Hawaii Island. And now we continue our huaka'i, our journey. We are truly blessed to have learned the stories and perspectives that our guests brought with them. Stories that have endured the test of time and proven their importance and relevance to this day. I know that I'm excited to continue this course while we learn about important traditional practices of Hawaii, still with a deep pilina to place, and also how these practices are being shouldered by those who aim to perpetuate the knowledge in a sustainable way. I think we will find that our guests in some way share the idea that there is a kuleana, or responsibility and privilege, to carry on. Hololei, this season will be deliberately building upon the mo'olelo we've heard and learn how cultural practices that are deeply rooted in place promote meaningful interaction with aina, with the land. You might consider our first season as foundation setting, and this season one of action through practice and perpetuation of those sustainable practices in this 21st century. Throughout 2022, an episode will be released at the start of each Hawaiian Lunar Month or Malama or Mahina. We do this in accordance with Kaulana Mahina, the Hawaiian moon calendar. Each podcast release is synchronized with the Pomahina or moon phase carrying the name Hilo. We hope our listening audience will appreciate this integration of the system of indigenous place-based timekeeping. And with that, let's go over to Lei. Drew, I'm excited that we're embarking on this journey in season two of Kaleo Kauluau. Today we'll be focusing on Ulana Lohala, on Lohala weaving. Would you do the honors of introducing our very first guest? It'd be my pleasure. Gloria Ann Puolani Meraki is the Kaikamahine or daughter of Francis Aalakia Pahio Agustin of Hawaiian descent and Tranquilino Franda of Filipino descent. Her mama hails from Keokaha on the Moku of Hawaii and her father is from the Philippines. One of 11 children, Gloria Ann Puolani, who many of us know as Auntie Lali, was raised on a coffee farm on the Mauna of Hualalai in Kiopu in Kona. During the course of her growing up days, coffee farming was a major part of her life, and scratching the surface was kalo farming. Her ohana farmed from before daybreak till evening. The oldest of the children stayed at the farm grinding coffee. And back at home, everyone had a function, including preparing baths by building outdoor fires, preparing dinner. In the evening, her ohana would sew, wash clothes, play with handmade toys, sing and play guitar, accordion, ukulele, and violins, and prepare lauhala. Her ohana consists of her kane, Terry Muraki, 
two grown daughters, and five lovely baopuna, or grandchildren. She and her kane have resided in Holuoloa Makai in Kona for the past 50 years. Auntie Lali is a kumuhula, having graduated from the hula uniki process as part of the first Unuolehua cohort under Taupori Tangaro. Importantly, Auntie Lali is a noted weaver of lauhala and she has a vital role in the continuity and the life of this cultural tradition. She's taught many members of the community this art, and she's helped to arrange, coordinate, and share her knowledge at the annual Kaulu Lauhala Okona Conference. Let's hear from Auntie Lali now. Aloha, Auntie Lali. It is so wonderful to have you here with us today. We are so pleased and honored to have you as the person to initiate this second season of the podcast, Kaleo Kauluau. And we recognize your great contributions to the practice of practice and art of lauhala weaving. And um, just personally, I have so many fond memories of my time spent with you on our hula journeys, um, when we dyed our kihei with the red lepo of Kauai, um, brewing really strong mamaki tea with you, and gathering ho'i'o in Waipio Valley, and so much more. I, I treasure you as a friend, and I value you as a teacher. And I've always appreciated your, your particular teaching style, because to me, it's, it's one that is both loving and strong and strict, in, in, in which you remind us that we have to keenly observe to learn with like unwavering attention. Um, and we've, we have to ad- adhere to high standards, um, standards that have emerged over generations, and to honor their legacy. And we strive for the best that we can. So um, this is such an important way for us to learn. So I mahalo you for that. And I really mahalo you for being here with us today. Mahalo. Aloha, Auntie Lali. Um, today, it's such a pleasure to meet you. And um, yeah, just e'olu olu mai. We're eager to hear what you have to share about your experience with Ulana Lauhala. I am sharing my practice of Lauhala weaving that involves not just weaving, but all of the elements that make it possible for this natural resource to exist and flourish. As a youngster, I believe I was at least five years old. Uh, That's the furthest I can remember. I remember gathering Lao with Mama. Our function was to gather, soften by hand, and clean Lao Hala. I recall Mama wove hats, table mats, floor mats, fans, and a few other small items. My mom and we siblings wove floor mats that completely covered our home. My foremost credit of introduction and ulana lauhala ike stems from mom. Extension of the a'o of my lauhala genealogy includes my siblings, Kia Franda, Miley Baird, and Debbie Toko, a dear friend, Ginger Alexander of Kauai, Kupuna Nancy Uemura of Honaunao on the Moku of Hawaii, Debbie Tuzan and Margaret Lovett of Kauai, and Pohaku Kahohanohano of Maui. The importance of my practice is environmental kinship and cultural perpetuation. It offers a way of connecting me to the natural resources the need to have a constant relationship with all elements of what is above, what is below, and what is on our honua. It provides inner peace to my whole being. It provides the understanding of sustainability to my life. My invaluable love for hala as a practitioner evolves from all that it represents. As I mentioned, ohi ohi kupua's enrichment of what is above, what is below and what is on this honua. 
My mo'olelo of this story comes from Hawaiian Antiquities and Folklore by Abraham Fornander. The name of the hala tree was Ohi Ohi Kupua. She grew from the ocean bottom and grew above the surface of the sea. En route to Hawaii, Pele comes across her, gets entangled in her leaves, which strangles her. Unsuccessful to free herself, here comes Brother Pa'au, who brings a gourd of seawater, pours it over Ohi Ohi Kupua, and frees Pele. Enraged by this, she climbs to the top of Ohi Ohi Kupua, pulls out the leaf buds, and throws them wherever. One of these seeds lands on Hawaii. It is said that the first hala tree growth was in Kohala on this island of Hawaii. Hmm. At this time, it is Lauhiki, a prophetess who creates a lauhala mat by having women braid it. From that comes the purpose of using it as a sail for the canoes, shaped like the sun, originated by Lonoauihi, It is said that the sail of the canoe of Kamehameha I was woven by Lauhuki and her younger sister Haumea with their five daughters. Kamehaikaua, Meahanipaua, Lohea, Kahuihuimalanai, and Kahonohokaohu. About 20 years ago, Auntie Maluihi founded Kaulu Lauhala Okona to perpetuate the art of Lauhala weaving. The annual workshop has grown into a credible gathering place of weavers, ranging from beginners to the most advanced. The four-day workshop has a maximum of 150 learners with 30 kumu. There are a few kumu who are willing to take up to six haumana, but in order to sustain the learning and cultural ike, classes are maximized at five haumana. I know of another Lauhala Weaving Association in Hilo that holds a workshop every three years. Maui's Ka'anapali Beach Hotel, the Hawaiiana Department, will be holding their third annual fiber workshop and including Lauhala Weaving. Today, youngsters from six years old to kupuna kupuna love Lauhala items. Bracelets, Christmas ornaments, beverage container covers, table mats, much demanded earrings, regular papale, and especially the pico ole papale. The popularity, I noticed, has catapulted the interest of learners of lauhala weaving to more than 75% of, compared to 20 years ago based on inquiries to attend Kaulu Lauhala workshop. Every kumu of our association teaches from 3 to 10 haumana regularly compared to none to two haumana of 20 years ago. Mahalo for sharing those details. Um, Auntie Lali, I was struck by how you said that the maybe the first um, hala tree was in Kohala. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there, I mean, on a lot of different levels, that seems really interesting to me too. Do you think there's a relationship between the place name, I mean, the name of that moku, that district Kohala, and the presence of the first hala tree, maybe? Mm, I'm not familiar with that. <laughs> Sorry. But you know, there are hundreds of types of lauhala trees. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that lately they tested it and they found the indigenous trees still on the island of Kauai. Mm-hmm. As far as Ohi Ohi Kupua, 
and its relationship to Kohala, I am not familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I've seen myself some very beautiful, majestic hala groves in in the Kohala district. And I'm also just I also think about how places like where we live in mm-hmm. Huna, mm-hmm. um that that moko is so strongly associated with hala groves. Mm-hmm. Our district smells like hala groves. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, you from Kona, right, also have this um, special situation with hala groves there that are also amazing. So, yeah, I'm, I was just struck by the fact that Kohala mm-hmm. was the first place. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned a term, um, papale piko ole. Mm-hmm. What, what is that exactly? So in today's modern world, the everyone goes, the female are attracted to this hat that on the very top of your head is open. Mm. And that's what we call papale pico ole. And, and pico ole no more, no more pico, no more center. Mm-hmm. Because when we weave, in order for you to weave a hat, you start with the pico. If you don't mm-hmm. have a pico, you cannot move from that um, direction or create a papale. So this is a hat without the pico. Mm. And Tilali, you mentioned that, you know, today people enjoy, people from kupuna to keiki enjoy the more modern uses of lohala, such as bracelets and Christmas ornaments and stuff like that. But you also mentioned how when you were little, you guys uh, made mats for the hale. What were some of the other traditional applications of lohala? Well, then we we used it all only functionally. So we used it basically for household items. The wall-to-wall floor mat was only in our living room and where we slept in our bedrooms. It was not in our kitchen. Mm. And um, and we had pillows. We made pillows out of them. Mm. Were they left open or do, did they roll? Did you folks roll them up? Um, no, we did not roll them up because the area was always, mom was very picky about uh, being clean whenever you entered in and out of the home. So, no, the mat was, we never rolled it up. It was our floor. It was our tile. It was it was our carpet. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a, an amazing image. Mahalo for that introduction, Auntie Lali. Oh, thank you. It definitely seemed like you were highlighting the fact that the numbers of haumana um, in lauhala weaving are always, always increasing. And that's mm. such a, you know, a, mm. a favorable, positive thing for us to consider um, that more and more people are interested in learning this art, this practice, and perpetuating it. My thought on that, though, is the, that the increasing number is not necessarily, for me, I take it as a very sacred thing mm-hmm. to know my practice. But to many who are interested in the weaving, are not as um, their depth of understanding the hala is not their intention. Their intention is to simply learn how to do a product, have physical presence, Mm. but not allow it to be part of their being. Mm. And which is what I, I don't know what that other word is. I I don't appreciate that part, Mm. that they come into this, want to come in as learners to simply learn a technique and put aside all of the kupuna's knowledge mm-hmm. that is deeper than just making a product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's very true. So anyway, so I will share some of my practices, including protocol and the gathering of hala, harvesting, cleaning, preparing, caring for it. And, uh, but I will not take you to the weaving process because that'll take an extra day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I support these activities in order that uh, to collaborate Lauhalu weavers to share their traditions, their practices. And the perpetuation is that they have the kuleana to host more community workshops and to share as much as they can, but share in the form of cultural iki, in the form of understanding that the hala is there not just as a material item to be tossed on the side, but to associate that to environmental kinship. So I will begin with, in in my presentation, I would like to share with you mostly the gathering process of Lauhala and up to the point of the product ready to be woven. Normally when we gather, we enter a location, but it is very important that you ask permission of the place, of the kupuna, because the kupuna are are all around you. And we ask that you, with this, you leave all of your negative energy out of this area and you come in with good thoughts. I've been sharing one entrance chant, and I mentioned to all, you don't necessarily have to have an oli, yeah? You can simply ask permission and say who you are, where you're from, and what your intention is Mm. of the place. But I would like to share with you an oli that I use, and this was gifted to me by... Then he was known as Kaipo Frias. Today he is known as Taupori Tangaro. And he gifted this to me because it includes the process of the gathering. And he wrote this for his students in honor of Antihale Olapea, who was a teacher at the University of Hawaii in Hilo. And her practice in teaching the language, uh, she used this art form to teach the language, which was the manaleo, yeah, of that time. So it begins like it's, well, it goes like this. Ohi ohi lauhala wa mahali hie popopo hoi lauhala hikauhanui. Vai, vai, lauhala, kohopono hia, okipo'o hoika hiu, vai hoika uluhala. Ki hai, hai, lauhala, ki hai ihia, kokala, vai na hoima ipo ina aui, homa e lauhala. Mekavelu vahai, holoi haku, holoi mai. Ah, 
uana ni i ono po ala lau hala i palu palu mahi mo hala mai ka i ho i ku wahi lau nei ku ka ala hala ku ka ahi ya eli ke me kanui kanui make make ia Puana lau hala, lohe hahia, pea hapela, hoine hauna lau hala. Puana lau hala, pa ahia, hi mau mau nehia, hana kupuna. He ino no hale ola. And with that, we enter the place of our gathering. So, but before you gather, one thing I'd like to make, to mention is that before we you gather, you gotta know and you have to check your weather because if it is not suitable to gather, then you shouldn't be gathering. Like the chant in the first, where it says, ohi ohi lauhala, it says, if you go in, and it is not a suitable time to gather, your leaves will be popopo. Your leaves will not be good for weaving. Mm. So starting with the cleaning process, as soon as you get there, it is also a protocol that once you establish a gathering location as a weaver, it is your kuleana there on after to malama that place, to... Clean, what you do is you gather all of your lau from the tree and you pile it or remove it to another location away from the tree. Before days, traditionally, they didn't do that. They left the leaves where they were. But you have to understand that they were true practitioners. They, would, they were able to look at anything on the ground and know whether it was good or not. Today, you don't have weavers who do that enough to identify the good from the ones that you should leave alone. So after gathering that, if you have a chipper, you can move it to an inconspicuous space in order for it to decompose later. By removing the fallen leaves, the point is at your next visit, all the new fallen leaves will be okay together and you wouldn't have to sort it for usable use. When we gathered with my mom, I remember we would climb the mountaintops and gathered only the amount we needed for the current function. Today, because we concentrate mostly on making specific products, and for me personally, when I do papale, which are hats, I gather only the amount needed to make a hat. After you gather what you need, you remove the hiu, which is the tail of the lao or the leaf, and the po'o, which is the head of the leaf, always confirming that the leaves, when you pile it to, uh, to bundle it, that it's always in the same direction. And like the chant where it says, vai vai lau hala, that is what it says. 
you cut the hiu and you cut the po'o and you be sure that it is in the same direction. Once that is pao, once that is done, you remove all of the thorns on the sides and don't forget the middle one or else, hmm, owee. After cleaning the lao, we go to the next part of the chant. So if you follow every verse of the chant, that is the process of the gathering. We get a wet cloth and we ma'e ma'e the halang. We wipe it clean until it is pretty and clean. And as a youngster, we gathered upland. So when we did that, we would go to the awai to clean it. When we gathered by the ocean side, we would go to the ocean to clean it. There is no specific place to clean it. Today, we get a bucket and a tub of water and with our wet cloth, we take it all home and that's where we do it. I still follow our traditional process by doing it wherever I am in the location. When that is pow, we soften the lao by rolling it through our hands back and forth until it is good and wide and soft and supple enough to create what we call a kuka'a. And a kuka'a is a circle of all these leaves combined in a bundle. And when you're done and you need to make it as tight as possible, sometimes we gather and put it maybe three or four at a time and bundle it together. Sometimes we do it individually. It depends on what your take is. We roll it, and that's what we call a kuka. Before days, they would put 40 in a kuka. Like I said, now we use only what we need and put only that amount in a kuka. Um, and that's it. Now that it's in a kuka, you will have to take it to the next process, which is softening it in the next stage. And to do that, and what you, why you want to soften it in the next stage is because you want it supple enough and soft enough, in, for instance, to make a hat or to make an earring or to make a bracelet. And if you don't, then it will, your hala will be kind of kapakahi or keke. It won't be straight. Okay, that's Paul. Any questions? Oh, in the chant, I noticed that, or maybe it was when you were talking and you 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 mentioned the the midrib of the leaf. Oh, the kukala, yeah, yeah. the midrib. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, could you please explain a little bit of what a lauhala leaf looks like oh, for those who might never have seen one? Mm -hmm. oh, and I didn't say the English name for the hala is pendanus. Do you pronounce it pandanus, pandanus? Not sure, but it's a pandanus. And it is, I don't know how to explain <laughs> what it looks like. Well, I guess it, the main part is that there are thorns that need to be removed. Right. It is, well, the ones we use have thorns. And I prefer to use the ones with thorns because it's... Um, it has more life. Uh, you can, as long as you use your hala, you can use it forever. But if you shelf it, the bugs will, you know, the bugs will get it. 
but the bugs will get it too, depending. And which is why I like to, to clean it at, in the ocean because the ocean water serves as a deterrent, as, as a preventive measure mm-hmm. for, for bugs. But also, it would not be um, a good way to clean your hala because now that you have salt on it, in today's world, when you have, we use pins to, for our hats. And if you pin your hat with that and it's rinsed in the ocean, then it'll rust. Mm-hmm. So... Some of so usually when when we do that uh, when we clean our hala in salt water, we normally tell the person that be sure if you are using a pin to take measures to um, to care for the rust if it occurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Oh, so friendly. yeah. So the so the the leaf and so the lauhala leaf we use have thorns. They can range from being almost non-visible to thorns as long as, hmm, over half an inch and almost an inch. Really? So, yes. So that's, and, and it, the, it's thorned from the top of the lao to the bottom of the lao. And in the center also, there's thorns, and we call it the, the kokala. And when you, the thorns move or face only in one direction. So when you are wiping, well, before you wipe, you have to remove the thorns from each side of the leaf and the center. But if you don't remove them, when you, re, when you remove the thorns, you have to move in the direction of where the, the thorn is. Otherwise, and, and so which is why we say po'o and hi'u, the thorn moves in the direction of the tail, the hi'u. So um, you got to be smart and not use the other side to try to remove the thorns. Yeah. When you said, oh, I was like, (laughs) I I can, I could feel what you were saying because of wiping. (laughs) I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I know exactly what Mm -hmm. that oh means. Mm -hmm. So, and and traditionally, um, I used to do that. All I did when I cleaned, I never used gloves. I never used any protective equipment. But today, I use only leather gloves when I clean the lao. <laughs> yeah. We used to clean that and hold the, the thorns. as When we stripped the lao, we would hold every piece till we couldn't hold in our hands. Then we discard that and then start dis- uh, dethorning other lao. But I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that you shared that, um, you know, th- there's kuleana to the the um, hala grove that mm-hmm. you, you know, use as a resource. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you, you enter into this relationship with that particular grove and those trees. And you, you make, you know, a commitment to them, to malama them, to protect and preserve them. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a really important mm-hmm. thing in always and also in today's um, Hawaii environment to mm-hmm ensure that there are people who are going to steward those resources if they are going to make mm-hmm. use of them too. So mm-hmm. it sounds like a very respectful and, and sacred relationship that you described. And we must do that because if we don't, um, it is not only about taking um, 
without the hala, without you mala- taking care of it, then you will not have new leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so in the process, in, in part of that caring comes with not only taking removing the leaves, but being sure that you prune it properly, and that when you prune it, that it always looks like a hula dancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, if you don't take care of it, you will not have all of the other elements to kokua you for a better lao. And doing that also, um, it, it helps you individually to create a different perspective of who you are as a person mm-hmm. and using that form of carrying what you are creating is the same ano you use, the same behavior or concept of, that you use in relationship to care for not only your community, but your family. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know. Auntie Lali, a question just came to mind. Earlier you mentioned that there are lauhala with and without thorns. There are puhala, hala trees all around the Mokopuni, around the island. But I heard that like the ones in Kona are famous for different reasons from the ones in Hilo and Puna. Could you tell us about some of the differences between the hala on this Mokopuni? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, see, with lauhala, I've gathered all over this moku. And that is because my mama is from Hilo. So I'm ma'atu keokaha. And... You know, and my mama is from other places. So, yeah, I've been all over. But you have, it is true. And it's not necessarily the quality of the lao. Maybe some may use that as a terminology for the lao. But it's because wherever the location is, the lao can be as thin as possible or as thick as possible. Normally when it's by the ocean side, the leaf is thinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's um, it's more supple. Is that the word? Mm-hmm. So it's pliable, more supple. Yeah, it's more pliable. Mm-hmm. No, actually, they're all pliable though. Oh, okay. But it's it's softer, and so many hat weavers likes they like to use the one by the ocean. Mm-hmm. I like both. Yeah, and normally so. And where, where you gather makes a difference. If you gather from Lauka, usually it's harder. The lau is harder. And it grows longer sometimes. So the longer the lao, you normally use it this for baskets, uh, functional purposes. The thinner it is, you use it for you know, jewelry, papale, hats. Um, and depends on the location or how the sun reflects on your lao. You can have white and dark lau on the same tree. Mm. But in certain locations, the dark lau has a color that is unlike another location. It might be a deep, deep dark, which is what we all call the um, the red hala. You hear people always say, yeah. oh, yeah, it's the red hala. But that's what it is. It's a deep, deep dark brown. And I've seen um, hala. A friend of mine has, and um, Walakumu, and she passed away. But she shared 50 years old hala that was stored under uh, the church building that was gifted to her by her good friend. And she made a hat out of it. Oh, my God, it's beautiful, beautiful dark red. 
and the quality of the law was just as good or, in fact, better than the ones we had today. But you have to be careful where you store it. So apparently the area was down the beach side. You don't you don't store that, and storing makes a lot of difference too. See, so you have to know how to store your hala. You don't put it in a place where where there's a lot of moisture, and if it is, you got to be careful to check it every week, every other week, or once a month at least. Otherwise, it's going to be mildew. Mm-hmm. Once it's mildew, it's popopo aolehikikehoan. You cannot use it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. There's a little something, um, Auntie Lali, about when we went to the Smithsonian. Oh, yes. Um, and that seems like a, a kind of powerful mana'o to share. Mm. I forget what the name of that place was. Was, was it out? Like, did we have to drive out there? And it was yeah, a big Yeah, remember flip. we drove out. And then you guys is... did Kevelina Maine in yeah. that, like, that Costco-like yes. facility. <laughs> Oh, yes. you, you told us about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes. no, it was, but it was like the, the, the overflow for the Smithsonian's artifacts or something. Right? Yeah, but there's a name. Uh, and anyone can go there. Oh. But there, anyone can go there. You just have to request mm. to be put on the list. And they go there every day. You just have to be, um, ask permission or be a participant. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I was going to look for the name of it. I, I can't remember. You don't remember the name of that building? Uh-uh. It started with an R. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> this is where they store the artifacts at the Smithsonian. And they have artifacts from all over the world. They have one section just for Hawaii. And every floor is a different form of artifact. The floor we went to was the Evie. And then we went to the arts, and there we saw artifacts of gourds, of um, any any item you can think of, implement of Hawaii. It was there. Then we came to the one that had the hala. There were drawers and drawers of them, and when you pull the drawer out, I was amazed that in there they had mats they had these capes um, they had the finest smallest weave and speaking of that when we do strip hala for weaving we strip and weave from 132nd up until one inch two inch but that and it was those that I saw there and um and the, the patterns, and when I visited that, when I looked at that, I thought, wow, you know, my, my like I said, my na'au sunk, my, you know, all my insides sunk because I had this kaumaha feeling, this sad feeling, this kind of like deep, but it's not a hurt, but it's a sad thing, feeling of them being so far away from home. You know, but at the same time, I was happy that I was there to to talk to them, to announce to them that I'm here visiting you, and I am part of I'm perpetuating what you folks have taught us, and the patterns was the ex- from 
I guess was hundreds, was 1800s that they had. They had from Kamehameha and who else. But the patterns and the weaving was the same weaving we have today. Mm. was amazing, you know. I thought, oh, we created something new. We did not. We leaned on them and took their ike, and we're using the same ike that they had then today. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah, Wonderful. that was a good trip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's so beautiful. I got chicken skin. What do you what do you think the future holds for this tradition and art and practice of lohala weaving? I think it will definitely be sustained. You know, I've um, I noticed that we have a lot of younger younger um, youth, uh, not just youth. We have younger kanaka who now know who they are. We never knew who we were. You know, when we were brought up, uh, we were suppressed. We were told we couldn't speak Hawaiian. I mean, my brother would get beat up because he used the Hawaiian word when they were, you know, describing items in school. And he would use the pula for the roof and got beat up, taken to the office and whipped. But our children know the history. Now they're taught the history. They're taught what it was like and what they had to go through from that era to this era and they recognize that this is who they are and they're going to perpetuate it. But they do it, you know, never forgetting the struggle they went through, but they do it with humility. I've noticed, you know, and I don't want to brag, but I've noticed it with many of the young adults, the high schoolers who go to immersion school or they know how to speak or, um, you know, but like my mo'opuna, you know, and I always tell her just because, and she never went to any immersion. She learned this when she went to Kamehameha. But of, of course, when she grew up, I tried to speak Hawaiian the best way I could, the little I knew, but tried to talk to her only in Hawaiian. But when she spoke, you know, even till today, speak it proudly but uh, with humility. But don't be that ha, ha ha person like I know more than you, you know, just because I can speak and you cannot. That is not the way to carry yourself. That is not Hawaiian, really. You know, Hawaiians don't have that kind of mana'o and that kind of mannerism. They have forgiveness. They have plenty ike. They know when you know and when you don't know. But they don't say it out loud like, oh, you know, they don't. They just know. I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any advice for those, like you mentioned the young folks that you're you're coming across, mm -hmm. but do you have any advice for those who are trying to learn or trying to improve their existing skills? Mm -hmm. Sure. If you have a kupuna and uh, you're around them a lot, um, learn as much as you can from them, you know, and learn from whoever you can. Everyone has different ideas, Everyone has different creations, but take that and beautify your own creation, you know, your own individual selves. Um, for me, I love having my mo'opuna around me. Whatever I do, I teach them, you know, and they don't see that as, as work. Uh, many children see that as work. Um, they see it as fun stuff, 
You know, they don't have to, you don't have to have them work from the wee hours of the morning like we did when we, we were children to the evening. But you know, when they when they had enough, it's just surprising because my five-year-old can be part of it and then he'll just go, okay, I'm over it, you know? <laughs> or he can be on the side and not including himself, even if he took removed himself. When we're in a discussion, he knows exactly what we were doing. And he said, oh, no, that's not the way to do it, you know? So include them in all everything you do, even the youngsters, and don't, don't uh, teach them to say, Everything is possible. There is no such thing as no can. Yeah. Everything is possible. Mahalo. Mm. What is your favorite part of weaving? In the process or in your EK and in, in anything to do with weaving, what is what do you feel most um, fulfilling yeah. with? Actually, I do every stage of what I do with Hala because every stage reminds me of some form of sustainability, some form of connection, um, relationship, you know, to myself or to the aina itself or how we should take care of this place or the tree. And, um, yeah, I love to weave. You know, I love to clean the hala because it teaches me <laughs> that, when you clean my, when I clean my hala, it's like me cleaning my home. You know, I have to malama my home, otherwise it, the beauty will not come out of it. Um, but, and I love to weave. I love to weave late at night when it's in complete silence. My favorite place to weave is in the valley mm-hmm. because the the feel of the hala is very different. It's like soft. And I can weave without um, without all of the other factors I have to deal with. It's like it just flows when you weave. Yeah. That's so. wonderful. Your face mm-hmm. is lighting up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish everybody could see you just you're just glowing as you speak of how 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 much you aloha this practice. Oh, thank so mahalo you. nui for sharing. Mm-hmm. For those who are reconnecting or even just starting to learn and practice ulana lauhala, what are some things that you hope this practice would instill in mm. them? Well, first of all, personally, I do not teach a, a haumana if they don't go through the whole process. Um, gathering, um, learning how to dethorn um, all of the process up to the weaving. Because if you don't feel those things and see those things, um, your recognition to your product is in two different levels. Yeah. So if you want to learn, I mean, seriously, you want to learn. It's not learning the technique. It's you better learn how to take care of that tree first and gather from that tree. Because by doing that, now you will know the quality of alao um, and the extent of its purpose and function to you. That's perfect. Yeah. There was something that I was thinking about asking before um, for a lot of us when we think of 
hala, we think of that transition, right? And hala can mean a lot of different things, and it can be something that's, you know, a very powerful concept, very strong、um, concept for transition. You know, moving from one phase to the next, and you know, for example, in in some of the traditions that we're familiar with,、um, lei hala、mm-hmm. are you know are used in particular have a particular function that relates to that transition.、Mm-hmm. So it's a, I mean, it's a, a pretty. It could be a kind of a heavy thing too. So when、mm-hmm. people work with lau hala and hala trees and hala groves, is there some kind of thought that goes to that that Hala-ness, <laughs> that、mm-hmm. I, the meaning of the deep meaning of hala. Well, because the the, the hala, you look at the hala from the perspective of、uh, transformation from、um, life ending, or you can look at it as a transformation of the beginning of life.、Mm-hmm. So it depends where your energy is at the time, or. The functional purpose of your energy at the time it's being created,、mm-hmm. you know, like when you do a lay, people say, "Oh, don't give the lay to someone because he's," you know, like let's say if if they're、um, if they're、um, running for office, like because they may lose, but really not because it's a new beginning for him,、mm-hmm. and it's a beginning of a new life.、Mm-hmm. So it just kind of depends、mm-hmm. how you want to receive that. And create that perspective for the function you have for、mm-hmm. the hala. So you can be in the transformation of either or or.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the one of the themes of this new season that we have is focusing on the sustainability aspect. And you had mentioned it、mm-hmm. um, while we were talking story. And I was just wondering if there are any efforts to establish new lauhala groves or、um, you know. What is being done, if anything, through the community、mm. to ensure those relationships carry on, and how does that translate to today? To today, where、mm. there's things such as little fire ants and、mm. having to navigate those kinds of things. If you have any manao on that, so we also have the lauhala bug, yeah, that that、um, started on the island of Molokai, and it did. It devastated all of the island. Um, all of the trees died, and well, how do you perpetuate or how how do you create regrowth? I mean, the government、um, they were informed, but did nothing about that until way later. But on Oahu, they did, and they found a way to maneuver and monitor that and stop the bug. Well, they didn't quite stop it, but create new growth. So Oahu did, and they went back to Molokai, and they did cocoa a couple of the residents there to to grow hala again. But like we say now, whatever hala you can get, store as much as you can, because you never know what may happen to the trees.、Um, I know that some places like Kohala Center.、Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Kohala Center, but they are one of their visions is to for regrowth. So you have places like that on Molokai. So I know another woman, or another Kumu, and she also on her property. She is creating regrowth on the island of Kauai. A lot of our Kumu now have properties, and they also instead of growing what they were, 
they've transitioned that into um, puhala, oh. into hala groves. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, mahalo for sharing that. It gives us hope. Mm. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Well, we really, really appreciate you sharing with us. I've learned a lot and um, it's just amazing to hear your connection and your your story of your ohana and how you've learned this practice how you how much you respect this practice and and then the beautiful part of sharing with your maupuna so mahalo nui for joining us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're really pleased to have you here today because um as we said we're initiating this brand new season mm-hmm. right of this podcast and um i believe what you've shared with all of us um is, is so many important messages that relate to cultural practice, to sustainability, right? To commitment to Aina. Um, so mm-hmm. we very much appreciate you being here with us today, Auntie Lali. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I just, I hope that what I have, what I've shared will trigger everyone to keep in their mind that without environmental kinship, we cannot prolong our lives, not only our human lives, the plants, you know, our elements in this environment, in the sky. Uh, We need to be responsible for all of it and not just a specific item. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And especially our ohana, our family, we got to take care of them. They are just as meaningful as my papali, almost. Oh, Mahalo, Nui. Thank you. We extend our deepest mahalo to Auntie Lali, Gloria Ann Poalani Meraki, who joined us today for this first episode of a new season of Kaleo Kauluau. She shared profoundly and humbly with us not only about her practice of ulana lauhala, but about lessons about how to live, about our relatedness to the environment, and commitment to ohana. Ay, what a great way to start off our second season. There's so much more to come, so please join us for our next episode. Our episodes in season two, like Drew mentioned, come out at the start of every Hawaiian Lunar Month or Malama. In the meantime, you can find more information on our blog and on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, Ahui ho! Aloha! Aloha!